This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, there is an impact on students as schools have been closed in parts of the country during the pandemic, but there is also a quality of life issue as well that counterbalances those costs of lost education. A new report by the Penn Wharton Budget Model looks at the economic impact of reopening or not reopening schools. Efrem Berkovich is Director of Computational Dynamics with Penn Wharton Budget Model, and he joins us to take a look at the data. Efrem, great to have you with us. Hope you're doing well. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here. Thank you. So I guess let's start with a little bit of the backstory as to what you were you know, looking at in deeper context and why Penn Wharton Budget Model thought this was very important to study. Uh, sure. So this is um, a report uh, that uh, I did with um, Madison uh, Urbabian and uh, Yuran Wu uh, here at the Penn Wharton Budget Model. And the reason we thought this was important to do was that uh, the mission of Penn Wharton Budget Model is to provide economic tools for people to understand the implications of their economic decisions. And um, as a uh, myself, as a parent of school-aged children, the most topical political issue of the day right now is not the election, but uh, why the kids are not in school and what they're learning in school. Right. Uh, so. What um, what I've been wrestling, uh, you know, in, in with in our school district has been the policy determinations of when do we let the kids in, uh, how do we make those decisions, and what I found was that there was not a lot of explanation for how different thresholds were put into place. Uh, now I am not a health expert or health policy expert. But as an economist, what I expected to see was an analysis of trade-offs. Right. Uh, and I was not able to find that uh, almost anywhere um, in public uh, health policy documentation. So we took it upon ourselves to try to do a first pass at this analysis. And what we do in this report is that we do the best that we can with the data that's available to try to calculate what the cost of a COVID infection is in terms of uh, things like life lost, uh, medical costs, uh, productivity loss, put a dollar value on that, uh, and then compare that against the loss to students from their education just in terms of wage earnings. So we, you know, right. we are very limited in what we're trying to measure on the student side. We're not looking at uh, things like you know, increased uh, abuse that might go on, uh, we're not looking at mental health. We're literally looking to see if if there's a dollar value you can assign to not learning your you know your three R's. Well, and, and I think Ephraim, it's it's an important distinction to make because you know there's when you think about schools, there's really I guess kind of two stages of what we're looking at here. When when the pandemic first started back in the spring, you had you know, virtually a universal shutdown of schools and everybody had to be online. And I don't know if it's the same for your kids, but I know with my kids uh, learning from home, my two youngest, I I truly felt like they lost something because they didn't have the daily contact with their teacher. And I'm talking about the educational perspective. Uh, They were only talking to their teacher once a week. So there was a a, a feeling that I and and their mom had uh, of a loss that they were going to feel longer term, you know, into this year and next year and beyond. 
and then you have to go to the fall right now where we are, where some schools are still all virtual, some are partly virtual, and some are back full-time five days a week. So there are a lot of different factors at play here. Absolutely. Um, and coming back to what happened in the spring, there is a, a paper that's out, um, and it's uh, available through Brookings and also through Brown University, that came out in, uh, in May, where the researchers tried to estimate exactly what you're talking about, the loss to children from being out of school, and they projected it out uh, into, uh, up until the fall. And the, one of the striking results from that study was that for younger children, uh, the, um, the time lost in the spring of basically, you know, effectively treating it like summer vacation uh, was almost equivalent to losing an entire grade of learning, which is terrible. Uh, And as you said, there's a lot of heterogeneity amongst the, you know, the different school openings and reopenings that are going on. Uh, Private schools tend to be open now, um, but uh, you have uh, schools in more disadvantaged areas where virtual learning is effectively go, if you have, happen to have an internet connection, go watch some YouTube videos from Khan Academy. Whereas, you know, for you know, more wealthier districts, you, you will have you know, Chromebooks provided and all these other things, and the households have uh, um, you know, family that uh, can be there. So there, there's a, a lot of differences amongst the different school districts, and we did not attempt to try to tease that out. Okay. We did a nationwide average. And we are very careful to say these are very ballpark estimates. But the idea here is to start a conversation so that policymakers and specifically school boards, who are the ones who are making these decisions, have some numbers and start to think of this in terms of a trade-off as opposed to listening to thresholds that are provided with no explanation uh, as to why a particular number of COVID incidents yeah. Uh, should relate to students being kept out of school or students being brought into school, for that matter. So let me let me ask you this, for, and I'm sure this would be in, interesting for the people listening to us, is how do you come about associating or coming to a value for what, just going off of what you said, the loss of the spring semester or half of the spring semester was for students on general? And I'm sure that fluctuates depending on the grade that you're that you're talking about. Yeah, so um, I, I'm not going to you know, stand on a soapbox here and say I have the definitive number. Um, right. th- these are very um, wide-ranging estimates. Um, we, uh, we did a, uh, you know, a very wide review of the literature to see what people are saying. And uh, there's, first of all, a debate amongst uh, education people about the value of, ed- of actual learning versus simply the social promotion. In right. other words for the purposes of your future life income, it might be enough that you just have a high school diploma. You could be functionally illiterate. It won't matter. So that's an extreme view. So I think most uh, people in the field tend to fall in the middle. You know, we, um, we, we looked at the literature and assigned a loss of approximately 10 to 13 percent uh, loss per year of, uh, of education lost. Now, right. that's on the high end because we're assuming that there is no learning that's occurring from uh, either the hybrid learning model or the virtual learning model. Right. We're l- literally modeling a school shutdown. Right. So that gives us uh, an estimate for a very rough estimate of, of decline of lifetime earnings. 
Now, for the lifetime earnings, uh, we use the Penn Wharton uh, budget model's demographic microsimulation model that looks at the current population, evolves it through time. Uh, so we just pulled out from that, here are the wage earnings that we expect for the current cohorts. Right. Uh, and we discount that uh, because obviously future money has to not be as valuable as current money. So that's in our, in our report. The, the range, as you said, does matter. Uh, you know, for younger children, there's this trade-off between that their earnings are far off in the future, but we found the literature that uh, they tend to suffer the most from uh, not having education. The older kids tend to be more, uh, I would say, my guess is more independent or able to kind of catch up and learn more on their own. So we're looking at a range for the year, uh, you know, on the order of, you know, a very ballpark at really around $100,000. Now that's from entirely, you know, lost education. Right. So we try to break that down to a month, and for the month we get a range, uh, you know, in the ballpark of, uh, you know, let's call it around $13,000 for each month lost. Now, I I will caution everybody, this is on the very high end. Uh, It is uh, assuming no learning whatsoever. Right. And and we know that a, a lot of students are, are at least trying to do some virtual. But but the question I think then becomes, Ephraim, is because, you know, obviously the coronavirus is still a, a part of, of the dynamic here. And we don't know. I know a lot of school districts are talking about, you know, making that call to bring students in full time. Some of them are, are still, you know, making that uh, that decision right now. But if these scenarios continue to play out into 2021, I would imagine there's a little bit of a multiplying effect that occurs in terms of that that potential value of, of loss that uh, that students would potentially see down the line. Yes, uh, the the concern is that if you take off a little bit of school, you might be able to catch up a bit. It, it it's it's not as horrible as losing an entire year. So there's not a lot of economic studies and economic data available on this, thankfully. Uh, we are, you know, for economists, we're running a huge experiment right now on our children, so we'll have lots of data in the future. But, uh, you know, certainly I think as a parent, I don't want my children subject to that experiment. Uh, so, you know, the best uh, that we can do is to look at data from things like Hurricane Katrina and, uh, you know, school closures due to, like, teacher strikes, uh, you know, in other parts of the world. So the, the long-term effects uh, are likely more severe than if, you know, if we're shut down for a short period of time. And I think the idea here is I'm not arguing for school closure, school, you know, school reopening one way or the other. I'm simply saying let's try to take a look at these numbers and think about what the trade-off might be. So if the, uh, if the idea is that we can reopen and we have a forward-looking plan for reopening – you, we should suggest doing that earlier rather than later. Right. And one thing that I would add in terms of forward-looking is we do a month-by-month analysis of what the cost of a COVID infection has been from the start of the you know from the start of the pandemic in February until now, and the average monthly cost spiked to as high as around $330,000 per new case. So this is not for mortality. This is just for a person getting infected on average. Uh, so that was in March, uh, 330000 In September, our estimate right now is closer to 38000 
Right. So the cost of a COVID infection has declined dramatically. And having schools closed in March may have been the exact correct thing to do to reduce COVID infections. But as these costs continue to decline, and presumably they will decline with improved treatments and vaccines, we should be looking at that trade-off month by month or week by week uh, to see when we need to be reopening. Right. We're joined uh, by Efren Berkovich of the Penn Wharton Budget Model. Quickly, let's touch on, on the medical side of this, because there, there's obviously a variety of different impacts uh, in terms of the costs surrounding the opening or, or not opening of schools uh, with the medical and obviously a life uh, a potential life impact as well. And you also mentioned productivity. Right. So we... We, we don't count the long-term uh, medical costs. Uh, we don't count uh, the loss uh, that's not hospitalizations uh, because that data is simply not available, and we don't want to guess at it. Okay. So what we do is uh, you know, we have the mortality rates. The CDC provides that information. Uh, we have the hospitalization rates both for the ICU and without ICU. We have average costs for hospital stay on that. Uh, so those numbers are, are pretty good. And then uh, for the productivity loss, what we do is we add up all of the hospital stays. We add on an additional two weeks of quarantine for everybody. And that's likely an uh, overestimate on that part because uh, some people, when they're sick, are asymptomatic or have mild symptoms. They're able to work from home. Yeah. Uh, there's also different rules about quarantine. You can actually not you do the full uh, two weeks. But we add that on to every single infection. Uh, and again, this is a very rough estimate. We take the median wage in the U.S. and basically take that off. So the productivity costs are the smallest part of our, our estimate. The largest by far is the life lost. And those are serious things. I mean, this is not a trivial disease, and, and it is a tragedy when, uh, when we lose lives. And certainly the sickness is a serious thing and should be dealt that, with that way. Great having you with us today, Ephraim. Wish you all the best, and thank you for your insight, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ephraim Berkovich, who is Director of Computational Dynamics with the Penn Wharton Budget Model, joining us to take a look at their data, and you can uh, find it on their website, uh, the Penn Wharton Budget Model. Go online, and you can see the report right there. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.